when people are opening that email, it's really valuable to our clients because that's what they have to have because they have a advertising model. People have to open the email and see the ad and that's, you know, mm -hmm. they get paid on based on how many people do that. So now we can optimize for people who open it up instead of people who just sign up. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. This week's topic, I wanted to cover the ad bowl, the Super Bowl ads, the big game ads. I know, I know from a marketing standpoint, we want to dig in and understand what we're trying to accomplish with these ads that are about to hit at the time of this recording. It's a couple weeks out. We just saw who our Super Bowl teams are going to be. It's Kansas City against the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, at Glendale, Arizona, at the State Farm Stadium, home to the Arizona Cardinals. And it's going to happen February 12th, 2023. So if you're listening to this after the fact, it's okay. We are going to talk about the ads because somebody who works in an advertising agency and has for the last 20 years gets a little excited about what's going to happen and how much people are going to spend on getting these brands out there. And even though some of the economic woes that have been going on, maybe or maybe not, depending on your industry, but media budgets in recent months have not really dampened the marketing excitement for Super Bowl 57. And Fox has already sold the lion's share of its ad inventory back in September of last year with 30 second spots uh, for the broadcast, reportedly going for a record $7 million for 30 seconds. Last year, advertisers had paid about 6.5 million for similar placements, but now we're at $7 million for a 30 second spot during the Super Bowl. So of course we wanna watch that. And if you're into the game, you can watch the game too, but for people like us in the marketing world, we want to see what's going on. And fan loyalty to pro football has really shown signs of strength during somewhat of a volatile period and can be further shored up by an exciting championship game, of course, that's what happened. Now, during Super Bowl 57, uh, the, the big game, <laughs> hopefully I don't get in trouble I'm, uh, by saying it or, or mentioning it, but uh, it is what it is, I'm calling it by name. So copyrights reserved to the Super Bowl and to the NFL, um, but the big game viewership has increased by 12% uh, compared to the prior years. And of course, with 36 million households turning, tuning in. So advertising has definitely gone to some major players. Uh, we've got cryptocurrency and another category that has been somewhat of a bust. And then Pepsi in May relinquished its decade-long status of the Super Bowl halftime show sponsor, paving the way for music, Apple Music, to take its place. And um, Anheuser-Busch uh, gave up its big game in alcohol advertising after 33 years which now Coors is quickly to take on the return. So we're gonna see some interesting things happen during Super Bowl with the Ad Bowl, as I, I like to call it. I don't know, maybe it's coined as that term. And if I'm taking somebody's name, I apologize. I'm just really doing it from memory. So there you go. But we'll have some big brand announcements and then all, all kinds of fun things that are coming up to track. But think about 
the different ads that are going to come out, uh, what we know so far, according to CNET, and uh, there's lots of different articles out there about what's gonna happen with Advil this year. So what we know so far, according to CNET, is that Miller Lite and Coors Light will have high stakes beer ad, and they're gonna be partnering with DraftKings. So that'll be interesting. And of course, avocados from Mexico. <laughs> uh, Anna Ferris will be a part of that, a scary movie star. So we'll, we'll watch what's going on with avocados from Mexico. And we're gonna see more with David Grohl from Crown Royale the Canadian whiskey brand Crown Royale. So we'll have to see what David Grohl has to say. And we're gonna find out more from that. And then we're gonna hear from a new brand called Workday. Although they're using somebody with lots of uh, influence and, and maybe just notoriety, if you will, Ozzy Osbourne. He's going to play a buttoned up tie wearing new employees who's ready to shake up the office. And of course, other musicians will play in the ad as well. So look for that. And then this is always funny because Budweiser is going to use. So Kevin Bacon, we always joke, it's the six degrees of people that you know or six degrees of separation. Then we've got Heineken. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, Heineken will be <laughs> having the buzz, if you will, <laughs> um, with Super Bowl beer commercials um, advertising the non-alcoholic Heineken 0.0 in partnership with Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, Quantumania. So that'll be interesting to hear. A lot of buzz going around zero alcohol beverages and lots of pop-up shops and places that you can get drinks that don't include alcohol, which is kind of nice. And then Michelob Ultra is gonna have a play on the Caddyshack movie. So that'll be interesting to watch as well. It's gonna be an iconic classic role recreated. So some to watch there. Um, hopefully some of these will be memorable and trigger the emotions that they're after when we put these advertisements on, right? We want the emotion to tie with the brand that you want to give off. So lots of beer commercials, of course. Pringles made you look. We'll have a hidden celebrity in their ads. So that'll be kind of a fun reveal. And then FanDuel is going to have their commercial and we're gonna see more about what's going on with that. And then we've got Downey Unstoppables. Downey's gag is that the fabric softener company has hired a mysterious star who keeps his face covered with a hoodie. So we'll see what that's all about with Downey. I don't know about you, but we use Downey Unstoppables, have the little dots that go in our uh, wash machine. So quite interesting to see what that is. And oh, of course, always a classic Doritos. We will definitely have Doritos in the Super Bowl ad bowl and popcorners. Uh, Breaking Bad, a, a popcorn snack from Frito-Lay, uh, will feature Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, you know, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman characters from the AMC show Breaking Bad, uh, which has also been off the air for 10 years. So that'll be an interesting just reminiscence of what was going on 10 years ago. <laughs> So hopefully you'll get to watch this and if you don't care anything about football, then at least care about the ads that are coming up because they have all spent a lot of money to get in front of you. And so that's kind of the fun of it in being able to just see which ads you can remember and why and what emotion was tied to it 
What did they do to capture your attention and keep your attention? When you are thinking about how you can apply this to your own marketing, what are some of those $7 million tactics that they're taking in order to capture their audience and go after the audience that they want to go after? What ads were important to you? What ads meant something to you? Did you resonate with them? or not and why. So I wanna hear back from you. Feel free to leave some comments on the podcast or you can always reach out to us at themarketingexpedition.com. Just let us know, I wanna hear feedback. What was your favorite Super Bowl commercial and why? What did it do to you to make you want to buy or did it or not? Let's hear from you. All right, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. Thank you, Chris, for coming to the show. Uh, I want to share with our audience more about you and your journey, and then we'll we'll get into all the good stuff about social media and, and all the nuggets that we want to talk about. But let's just first start off about you, Chris. Tell me how you got to where you are now. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. To give the listeners a little bit of my background, to give them a sense of uh, how I got here, like you said, and maybe uh, some context to some of the uh, insights that I hope to share here. I'm a career entrepreneur. Uh, there could be uh, lots of stories about all the different businesses I started, most of which didn't work out all that well. <laughs> but in a career of twists and turns, I found myself in a place where um, companies were willing to hire my co-founder and I to help them grow their businesses. So I grew up in Chicago. I went to Georgetown for undergrad. I uh, lived in Costa Rica for a few years and, and did green real estate there. I lived in New York City, which took me to starting a video game with a few uh, video game business with some co-founders, uh, which took us to California. Uh, and when that video game business, when I left that business, it was like you know raising money from investors and trying to grow a business for the community. Uh, I came back to Chicago, which is where I grew up and was very interested in growing a business that uh, made more money each month than it spent. I know that's a crazy concept, but it was really important to me at that time. And so my co-founder, Brian Davidson and I, uh, Brian hired uh, myself and our third co-founder, Dan, to uh, build an affiliate marketing program for him. This is in uh, 2013-ish, 12 or 13-ish, about 10 years ago. He was working in-house at a Chicago business called NCSA, which uh, helped high school student-athletes and their families navigate the uh, athletics. I am very familiar with that. We are going through that right now. (laughs) With NCSA? Yeah. My senior in high school was ready to play football for some college. She's got a couple different offers, and I know what that is all about. Oh, great. Well, hopefully NCSA has worked out for you. It's been a very long time since Brian and I have been involved, but we helped them. Uh, Brian was in-house there for years, helped them start and grow their social media program as well as their uh, Google ads campaigns and SEO. That's how Brian and I met. He left that business. And uh, a a year or two later, we had just stayed in touch as friends. We would meet up in Chicago and he was about the only friend I had that likes to drink beer and talk about digital marketing. Sounds like a pretty cool friend to me. (laughs) (laughs) And then we um, separately but met up before, separately we both went to the first Pearl Jam concert at Wrigley Field in 2013. (laughs) And 
we both we met up there ahead of time you know separate groups of friends that we were going with but i said oh you're going i'm going let's meet up so we met up and i had already had in mind that i was going to ask him if he wanted to start an agency uh-huh. he had some clients he had some freelance clients i had some freelance clients and i said why don't we just put this together and start an agency so he says uh, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Let's talk on Monday. So we met up on Monday at a coffee shop on Tuesday. We were at a co-working place and we have been doing it ever since. Now going back to that night at the show, it rained super hard and the, I really feel the city of Chicago puts very strict rules in place as to when the show has to end. It's very loud, of course, and there's people that live around there. And so the deal was like, it has to end at 11. Of course it rains for like an hour. And so the show goes till 1 a.m. And he's awesome. like, we're going to pay, we're going to pay the fees. And he's waving this flag, this Cubs flag. And then um, fast forward now about maybe seven years after that, Brian and I have been in get business together for six or seven years. And the Chicago Cubs ownership has hired us to promote <laughs> all of the new buildings that they have in the, in the Wrigleyville area. They built a hotel. There's all these bars and restaurants. They built a whole entertainment district around Wrigley field. So we're closing that deal and very happy to be signing a contract. We're, we're, we're standing in there, like we're sitting in their conference room that overlooks the field and they have a, uh, they have the flag from that Pearl Jam show behind glass, like, <laughs> like you know, hanging awesome. on the wall we're signing the contract. And so of course we told them the story and of course they absolutely loved it. So we both said, Wow, like we made some progress, and 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 two, isn't this cool? So, so that's a little bit about me and our background and how our business got started. <laughs> what a cool brand story! I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> so let's just share a little bit more, kind of this journey where you've evolved to now, and what you're doing with your agency, and and how you are helping your clients. Uh, absolutely. So I would say that we reached a somewhat steady state strategically, of you know four or five or six years into the agency. At the beginning, we were doing a lot of different things that were relatively broad, and I think we were not as clear as what we're really, really good at. Uh, And then we got a couple clients. One was Lending Tree, where we were like in the big leagues and managing a lot of ad spend and dealing with their very high-level teammates, working with their very high-level teammates as well as their ad account reps. So we had a really high level Facebook rep. And I remember being in a meeting with them in California and being like nervous. You'd be like, actually, we really know what we're doing here. So that was a big unlock for us where, where we were like, we can really play at the maximum on paid social. And so we really focused on digital ads, uh, especially Facebook and Instagram ads, but also Google, of course. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to do those ads well, we were not the sort of people that say, oh, we're just going to run ads for you we're running ads and the results aren't as what we want them to be, we wanted to be able to fix that. So mm-hmm. everything from landing pages to analytics to messaging and strategy are things that we'll look at mm-hmm. to try to get better results for our clients. And so going back now about three years in 2020-ish, when Facebook and Apple began this, uh, you know, as Apple was rolling out iOS 14.5 with app tracking transparency and the way that that essentially decreased the signals that um, Facebook ads can see on iOS devices. We saw that coming yeah. and we saw that that was going to cause trouble uh, both in performance as well as being able to read that performance, which which has been the case. And there's mm-hmm. a whole, much longer story there that I'm sure you're familiar with mm-hmm. that seems to have settled a bit. But as we saw that coming, we saw how important that 
uh, creative was going to become. Creative is always so important, but yeah. we just saw that that was going to be the lever. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we, we hired designers to bring creative in-house. We did not have creative in-house up to that point. Um, we also didn't have technical capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like knew enough to fix a problem that we had to fix. But um, we not only brought creative team in-house, but we hired a, a technical person to be our technical lead who can code and program. And so she can figure out pretty much anything we need to figure out. Again, as the signal loss between iOS devices in particular and Facebook ads became more and more important, it became Mm -hmm. essential that every signal we could get, we needed to pass back for our clients, whether that's conversions API, all these other tactics you can can implement. So uh, having technical and creative capabilities in-house really helped our business of what we could do for clients and it's gotten us to a place now where we're doing organic social as well and there's a lot there creating vertical video working on TikTok a lot mm-hmm. yeah so clients hire us to manage their social campaigns including digital ads to to drive results and that's mm-hmm. really what's what we do we we try to drive ROI for our clients and, and show them what that is on an ongoing basis so we get a client we try to keep them for a long time through a good relationship and, and great results that's great so what are maybe some of the the tools or technology that, I mean, and I'm sure it's evolved because there's always so many things out there, so many, there's an app for that, for everything, right? What are some of the favorite tools that you love to use? Sticking on the creative mm-hmm. topic, uh, we use Frame.io, which I believe was recently purchased by Adobe. And what they do is they allow us to have a very clean creative approval process so our team will make a piece creative, upload it to this platform, frame.io. We can send that to our clients and say, uh, do you approve or not? And what's cool about it is you can make comments and mm-hmm. make like little drawings even right on the piece of creative, the little thing like I'm talking about this letter seems off or whatever. Yeah. And then of course our, our designer can put just the next iteration up and it, it just makes a very clean process and also yeah. documents it. So um, in case in the future, we need to understand why we ended up in a place it's all written down there. It's a really good creative one. Um, another one on the data side that we like is called data box. Uh, on Ooh. the very beginning of our agency we immediately wanted to have Dan this was in again 2013 mm-hmm. we want to have dashboards for our clients right away that were automated and it just like didn't exist we tried we we bought different tools and they mm-hmm. didn't work or the APIs would break or they wouldn't have a particular platform we needed what databox does is it brings in any source of data so of course we're using Facebook and Instagram ads a lot Google ads uh, Google Analytics, just those three, but you could, you know, there's hundreds of implement of integrations mm-hmm. and it allows us to make a real-time dashboard for any of our clients or even just a campaign that uh, our clients can share with their teams and see internally. Mm-hmm. So Databox is a really good one. Frame.io is a really good one. This is not unusual. We use Asana for mm-hmm. our project management. Yeah. Uh, we have a whole stack, of course, that we could go through, but mm-hmm. uh, those are a few. Yep. No, we, we love Asana too. And it's definitely evolving and there's always new features and it's definitely a great way to track everything and know what you're doing and, and commenting and following. And yeah, it's, it's, and I like the different views with Asana too. And yeah, I think um, we used to use takeoff video, which I think is similar to frame.io. And now Vimeo has a feature that you can do too, where you can, you know, make comments on the timeline and and all that kind of fun stuff to where people can tell you exactly what they want, when they want it, <laughs> where they want it. Yeah. Yeah. At least it will be clear. Yeah, exactly. Saying, okay, yeah, there's one point in the video where the mm-hmm. hand is, 
you know, there's a there's a up close shot of the hand. If we could remove yeah. that, they could just like instead of talking through it all, they can just write it down right totally. there. Totally. Those platforms are cool, and it seems like they've been kind of consumed by those bigger companies, so mm-hmm. that this like feedback thing that they got so good at on creative has now become a feature in these yeah. bigger platforms. Well, you know, there's not a one size fits all like people. Well, I just want one platform that works for everything. But it's kind of like you can cobble together the best of each area or you could try to do one size fits all. But it's always there's going to be an area that they just lack at in, in trying to do those big, huge, you know, technology platforms that try to say that they can do, you know, be all to all people. And I've found, and maybe this is true to you too, or you, you want the best of for everything that you do and then work together to try to see how you can make it all work. And the the only problem with that though, sometimes it's, you know, duplicating, right? There's duplicate efforts in one program to another, and then you try to get them all to sync together. And anyway, so it's like an ongoing thing. I mean, that could be a full-time job for one person to just, you know, <laughs> Weed through so many things that are out there and new things that are out there. I mean, have you integrated any AI into your processes yet? A little bit. And Mm -hmm. it's just crazy how quick this is happening. I know. The first thing we started doing, uh, and this was like way, way, way back, like three months ago. In in AI AI time, I have a feeling three months is going to seem like a very long time. I have a feeling that what comes out in the next three months is going to equally blow our mind or more than like ChatGPT has. But... Uh, so the first thing we started doing, I'd say, was using using the copywriting tools, the AI copywriting tools, to get just tons mm-hmm. of versions. So we, mm-hmm. our team can input maybe a couple versions or ideas of a particular line of copy, and then to spit out as many variations as we want, and then to be able to go through either take a bunch of those and test them, or kind of visually, you know, using our own insight pick out a few of our favorites and test those. Mm-hmm. So copy was the first place we went to. And I think that's a common one, a little bit obvious, maybe. Similarly, we were doing the same thing with images. Mm-hmm. And again, we've got a design team in house and they're interested in playing with this for their own careers to see how you know they can leverage it and how it's gonna impact design generally. Right. But uh, to, to just come up with an idea and be able to speak it into, I can't think of the name of the image generator uh, AI tool at the moment, but be able to put a few, you know, we want a Chicago Bulls logo around like on top of a bed of basketballs or something mm-hmm. like that and come up with these like kind of wild ideas. So we're using it a lot for ideation of imagery. So we might uh, do something like that, say for the Bulls and say we want this kind of funny treatment of the logo and see it come out of the AI tool a few different ways and then use that as the inspiration for mm-hmm. our designer to work off of. So we're using it for ideation visually and uh for for visual assets and then of course chat gpt has only been out what like a month or six weeks and Mm -hmm. like everybody else it seems we've been diving in and asking questions and well and i I just went there yesterday because i was uh, sharing with my students and of course the site is down because so many people are trying to get on it and be i mean it was like and, and that's, the, that's the thing in academic world. People are scared because now students can just rely on artificial intelligence to write an essay or do all these things. I'm like, well, you know what? We're marketing students. Let's embrace it because you're going to be in your career in, you know, a couple, either a year or, you know, a semester or whatever. Uh, let's test it out, see how we can use it to our advantage. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them do an assignment where they have to write something, their own essay. 
and then use the the chat to to be able to then see what it does and just know the difference right and it's gonna be it's probably gonna be come out even better than what they could write which is kind of scary yeah. <laughs> I mean, having an editor who can rewrite your entire paper in this is using ChatGPT not for cheating, but just to improve. Like, mm-hmm. here's my paper I wrote. Mm-hmm. Rewrite this, and then you can take what you like and what you don't like. And I know, and I'm sure that you know this, mm-hmm. but and and I, first of all, I totally agree with your your main point, which is I in academia you don't want people shortcutting the work and not doing the work and mm-hmm. that's not what the assignment is and you're telling them to write themselves <laughs> obviously there's cheating quote-unquote cheating that can go on mm-hmm. and that's like day one and then day two it's like oh someone's already written a program to discern if your mm-hmm. student's paper was y- using ai so mm-hmm. obviously they can get caught doing that pretty quickly now too and i'm sure there's going to be another ai that does it in a way that can't be tracked like again, <laughs> this is all happening so fast but so i like your your thinking that the, that this is a tool that they're going to use professionally because it is as soon mm-hmm. as they leave academia or school and go into the professional world, it's no longer going to be about, you know, who wrote this and did you write it? It's going to be about, is this the best version that we can get in order to get the results we want to get maybe for our clients in our case. Um, the other way in which chat GPT and AI has come up for us recently is our clients are asking us about it. So we have a bank client here in the Midwest. I'm outside of Chicago. It's a regional bank. Uh, with maybe 60 branches and a nice size publicly traded regional bank business. Mm-hmm. And one of their people asked us, like, the week ChatGPT came out, they're like, well, well how is ChatGPT going to integrate into our strategy? And we're like, um, <laughs> not sure. Maybe we should ask ChatGPT. That's mm-hmm. my first thought. Mm-hmm. But but uh, a couple of days later, then Bing announced, you know, the Microsoft ChatGPT announcements come out around the investment and the integrations they're going to do. And... Up to this point, you know, Google Ads is where it's at for search ads. And in our proposals, we'll often say, like, if we've reached our max volume on Google Ads, we'll we'll port things over to Bing as well and try to get more volume out of search on Bing. Uh, it's very possible that that's going to change in our clients and, and depending on how the chat GPT Microsoft search thing rolls out, uh, that that there'll be a good reason to, to spend more uh, ad spend on Microsoft versus Google, which has not been the case to date. Now, I know Google has, uh, you know, AI tools that have been under wraps and they have a, a Google AI search that mm-hmm. should come out. So um, because we spend so much money on those big platforms, it'll be some of our strategies will be informed by what those companies are doing and, and how their services change based on these new tools. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a whole new world. <laughs> I'm sure I don't need to throw a bunch of statistics and percentages at you for you to know that most of us spend too much time staring at screens. Being able to consume your content on the go means that your clients and customers can listen and learn from you without being tied to their desks. With Hello Audio, your customers can put their phones down, power off their PCs, close their MacBooks, and get the information they need from you while they're, let's say, walking a dog, doing a jigsaw puzzle, washing the dishes, maybe when they're in the car or exercising on the treadmill, sunbathing in their garden. Well, Hello Audio makes it incredibly easy for you. No more hours spent trying to figure out tech settings or trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole you can click publish on an audio feed in a matter of minutes and have control over who accesses what. So visit peppershock.com offers and sign up for a free trial of Hello Audio. 
So, okay, when you think about, because you mentioned with your, your clients and what they're using, and you, the other thing I'm thinking about too that is is with all these automatic automatic chat bots now, and you can ask questions and do all that, right? I mean, that's happening yeah. more and more too, and it's like replacing the human connection, I suppose. But oftentimes I, I get an answer, well, I can't help you with that, or I don't understand, or... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and voice search optimization now is a whole nother new topic that people are diving into more and more. Have you have you toyed with that at all with uh, voice search optimization? Not toyed with voice search optimization. I remember when Alexa and Siri and Google's version were the big things. And, you know, mm -hmm. I had those devices in my home and I mm -hmm. use them to check the weather and to set timers. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. But I, I think, but, but we use them all the time for those two things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think that there was a thought at that point that people were going to use that to order things like, okay, Alexa, reorder my toilet paper. Mm -hmm. I, that has just not happened. There's, there's almost all the, uh, we have a really good friend here in Chicago who's a great presenter and he talks about, you know, transactional versus informational searches. Mm. And I don't think, and, and so for us to drive uh, revenue for our clients, which is what the vast mm -hmm. majority of them wants to do, we're always looking for transactions. And so I think voice search is very informational. Like mm -hmm. I'm saying, tell me about this recipe, what, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what's the weather and set a timer. Like those are not things that are really all that close to a transaction. So we've not done much with voice search. I think mm. for that reason, I think that there was a lot of predictions when these things came out that there was going to be a lot of commerce that would flow through them. And I'm not seeing that, or mm -hmm. like, at least as far as I know, I haven't seen that really happen too much. So we're not doing as much uh, with voice search, mm -hmm. uh, but you did mention chatbots. And I remember <laughs> also when chatbots was the hot thing and they're not even AI chatbots, but just chatbots. So you right. those, that chatbot idea and you add AI onto it, imagining that the chatbots, like you're saying, used to not have the answers. Now they'll give you very confident answers, I think, with the AI being integrated into those as they as they as it will be. Mm -hmm. It might be wrong. I got a wrong answer from Chat GPT yesterday that was like very wrong. <laughs> like, what's the tax rate in Colorado? And it was like, there is no state income tax in Colorado. And it uses this very confident <laughs> tone. It's like there is a state income tax in Colorado. This is wrong. So you have to be careful. But what it's making me think about is all these interactions we can have to get all this information. Now, now say you're on a, a company's website like our website or your website, and you're thinking of using an agency, you can ask all these questions of the chatbot, and then if there's AI integrated, they might be able to give you all this good information if we feed it with our company's data and things like that. But, uh, you know, it makes me think about how uh, for B2B services like my company offers and your company offers, it used to be, call it 10 years ago or earlier, they would look, someone who's in the market would look and they'd find four or five companies like ours and they'd call us up and talk to each of us. And that was part of their information gathering. Mm -hmm. uh, and they might be 30% of the way through their decision-making process when they start calling people like us. Now they get all the information on the internet and they, and they, and they have really come close to finalizing their, their decision before they reach out to a company like ours. So I've seen the stat that says they're 70% of the way through the decision instead of 30% by the time they actually start reaching out to companies. So they're they're getting much farther down the decision-making funnel simply because there's more information, there's more information that they can trust. And so I think 
a AI enabled chatbot on one of our websites is just going to continue that trend where mm-hmm. um, people are doing more and more B2B research online and then kind of calling us when they've got down to maybe their final couple options and they want to they want to talk to us. So, uh, yeah, all those things are changing the way that consumers and businesses buy things and get information and it's happening super fast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Everything is just evolving. I mean, look at QR codes, right? I mean, (laughs) pre pandemic, eh, they were kind of getting adopted, but now it's like you see QR codes everywhere and people use them and it's great for marketers though, because then you can track it and, you know, what lead people to a landing page. That's a great point. And uh, (laughs) we've been, using it a bit in a way I'll, I'll share. Uh, and I, yeah, you're right. QR codes were like kind of getting pick up before COVID. You know, like it felt like a failed technology. It's been years that people <laughs> were saying, oh, QR codes is going to be the thing. It seems like you couldn't get anybody to scan a QR code in the United States. I never did it until COVID. And then all of a sudden something that we never expect or believe could happen happens in COVID and we're going to restaurants and there's no mm-hmm. menus and we're scanning the QR code on the table and like how different that is mm-hmm. you know, from our experience but you're right as marketers and we're extremely agile marketers and it sounds like you are as well we saw the opportunity there so we work with some restaurants and um, we work with like I mentioned the entertainment district at Wrigley Field, which is called Gallagher Way. Mm-hmm. And so within Gallagher Way, there's a bunch of different restaurants and they, they did not have QR codes before the pandemic and now they do. And so when it comes to restaurants, again, we're trying to track ROI. So uh, we would work through the restaurant backend, which uh, we liked it when restaurants would use seven rooms because we could pass that those things integrated with Facebook ads and we could see when a reservation was made. Mm-hmm. And then we could ultimately see the revenue that was coming through. Now, the problem is very few restaurants use seven rooms. And so what the QR codes enable us to do is to prove that somebody saw the ad and then went into the restaurant mm. without this like backend integration that something like seven rooms allows for. So someone goes into the restaurant, they look at the QR code, they scan it on their phone. They're, they're, uh, sometimes we have to get our clients to adjust the way the QR code works. Like we don't want the QR code to bring up a PDF because the mm-hmm. PDF is not trackable. We want the QR code to bring up a live web page that is the menu, and then we can fire a conversion when that menu page pulls up, and that becomes an event that we can optimize towards in ads that's proving that someone who saw the ad now ends up in the restaurant. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's the sort of thing that we do a ton of. We're sharing the QR code example, but we are really good at looking at a business and thinking through all the different touch points a customer has and thinking like, where is a moment that we can find a creative conversion to fire back to the ad networks and not just accept landing page views or event mm-hmm. responses or all these like softer Facebook style conversions that, that tend not to lead to the dollars and cents that we want. So we want to prove that we sent somebody to the restaurant QR code unlocks that. Yeah, you want to have on the flip side, I mean, you can get all of the ad reports to you, but then you want to see on your side, you know, from the client side, okay, these conversions that have happened, you know, how how did it work? Where did they go? What did they do? Actually, let's dig into that a little bit more because I think people sometimes miss that opportunity. They'll take the ad reports and they'll look at those and say, oh yeah, we did great. But then, you know, let's take it a step further. And like you said, track those conversions. Let's dig into that because I think that that people could utilize this even more now, especially since all the tools and technology that we have. When you say we're going to track the conversion, what do you do specifically so that people can understand 
on the flip side, what it is that we're tracking and how, how we do that. Sure. So the simple example would be when all this happens on the internet. So um, you're buying something online uh, is the easy example. And we basically can put a tracking code on our client's websites. Let's say they're selling t-shirts. We put a tracking code, a Facebook tracking pixel uh, on their website. There's deeper things like conversions API, which are now important to do. But mm -hmm. basically, you have this pixel on the website. They click our ad. They go to the client's website. They buy the thing. Every time a thing is bought, um, the system fires, the pixel fires back to Facebook mm -hmm. and will say, this this transaction just happened from Ray. Did mm -hmm. Ray see an ad or not? And if it says no, that means you know it won't count as a conversion. You came to the business and bought for some other reason it had nothing to do with our ads. But if you saw or clicked on one of our ads within the conversion window, and we can set that, it could be a day, it could be seven days, it could be 30 days, mm -hmm. we uh, will see, and so then you click and then you go and buy the thing on the website and it fires back and says, Ray saw an ad or Ray clicked on an ad. And those two things are different. Mm -hmm. Is it a view through would be just seeing an ad and a click through would be that you actually clicked on the ad. Mm -hmm. uh, and those two things mean different things. So, so as we get a little bit deeper now, mm -hmm. uh, we can go in a couple of dimensions one would be like I was mentioning with the QR code restaurant example. It gets definitely at least one layer more nuanced when we're talking about an online ad in a real life conversion, like in a restaurant or a retail store. Mm -hmm. It's harder to connect that revenue to the ad spend because the event's happening in real life instead of it all happening like on one device, like my computer or my phone. Uh, so it definitely gets more complex mm -hmm. when we're like, what is a creative way we can really... Um, tell that someone's in the restaurant uh, because it's harder. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's one way in which it gets you know more complex. I think it also gets more complex when you talk about what I was just describing, mm -hmm. a view through or a click through for a reason. Like you said, you mm -hmm. get these nice looking ad reports from your agency and it says, oh, we drove 25 sales. And um, you know the, the return on ad spend was, was, was five or whatever, and mm -hmm. those are good numbers. And you say like, okay, the return on ad spend's five, 25 sales. Like how many of those were click through or view through? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, 95% were view through. Well, like that's very different than if 95% were click through because mm -hmm. let's say we're doing a lot of retargeting and this is a, um, a, a purchase that costs a lot of money. So people tend to research it and take their time making that purchase. Mm -hmm. It might be that we're just showing ads to people who are already gonna buy and those and if those view through conversions are too high like we will take a step back and rethink like how much is this adding to the revenue versus us just like showing ads to people who are already going to buy mm -hmm. so so there's a level of nuance there on click through versus view through mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of other dimensions on which we can go deeper where this discussion of did we drive a conversion why did this person convert uh can be much more nuanced and and i think our clients value that mm -hmm. Because because everybody understands what it's like to be on the internet and buy stuff. Everybody understands that when generally when we buy something, there's a bunch of different reasons. Sometimes we don't even understand the reason. Sometimes we won't even remember seeing the ad uh, on a bus that drives by or or the view through ad or the ad that we flip past in our Instagram feed that may have some small uh, impact on that purchase. So as you can hear, there's a bunch of depth into how you can think about did we drive that conversion? What was the real value of this ad campaign relative to the dollars we put into it? Wow, you 
made that all sound so good. Good job, Chris. <laughs> I think that people could take advantage of that more and more, especially now that we have so much more information and data and ability to do. And you're right, it can get very tricky and nuanced to to track that journey of somebody who is going to buy from you, why they're buying from you, the behaviors, the influence, the all the things that come in what we do every day, right? <laughs> uh, I can give a couple other examples. Yeah. For example, um, sometimes there's not a great conversion around dollars and cents coming in. And so we need to get a someone to a landing page. And then sometimes if they click off that landing page, we might not be able to track where they're going. So for example, we've worked with hotels mm -hmm. and Marriott runs this hotel. And in the back end is Marriott.com. But on the front end is like hotelwebsite.com. And at some point when you go to, to book on the hotelwebsite.com, takes you off of hotelwebsite.com, goes on to marriott.com, and we can't track what's happening on marriott.com. So we, we lose the we lose the conversion path there and when the data breaks and we can't see that people went to Marriott and spent money. We can only see that people clicked out to Marriott. So in examples like that, there's times where we're sending people to a landing page and there's a thing called a landing page conversion, which is somebody seeing a landing page. You can delay, one thing that we do in order to get a higher quality there is delaying that pixel firing. So you can make the pixel fire after three seconds or five seconds. So someone's actually staying and scrolling down and staying on the page for a few seconds and it fires, and that's gonna be a higher quality conversion than that immediate pixel that fires when someone views the landing page and someone might bounce and be gone in two seconds, but it counts as a, as a landing page view conversion. So delaying the pixel is a good trick if you're looking to increase quality. Um, another good trick that's even more advanced is We've had like newsletter clients that, mm. that build newsletter businesses. Email, right? And, email yeah, newsletter, email yeah. Email newsletters, mm -hmm, exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, <laughs> and they, they want to prove that, that, that people are, we want to optimize for people who, who stay on the newsletter and who mm -hmm. read it day after day after day. It comes every single morning and it's, and it's your morning news. And um, so, of course, we can fire a conversion when somebody signs up for the newsletter that's pretty simple mm -hmm. but we don't want people who just sign up we want people who read after month two and three and four mm -hmm. so when people are in their email their own email inbox using conversions api we can fire a conversion for people who are opening the email and so when people are opening that email it's really valuable to our clients because that's what they have to have because they have a advertising model people have to open the email and see the ad and that's you know mm -hmm. they get paid on based on how many people do that so now we can optimize for people who open it up instead of people who just sign up mm -hmm. yeah and you want that longevity and you want to know that the content that you're giving them is something that they want to continue to to look at and see what they're clicking on and what more you can do of similar content that is needed and wanted by your audience good no, this has been a great conversation. I we could probably talk about all of these things all day long, but let's let's get into a couple more things. What's one thing you wish you had known before you began your career? Great question. <laughs> My hunch is to say something around um, patience and opportunity cost. Mm. I think that if I understood that this is a decade by decade game and not a like day by day game, I would have done things a little bit differently. I uh, got, there was a point where I was so impatient to make money and to see success that it caused me to make short-term decisions when I should have been making long-term decisions. 
And now I'm 44 and I've had multiple businesses and I've been in this business for coming up on uh, 10 years. Yeah. And I think that if right now what I understand is that it's not just what you're doing right now, but it's that it prevents you from all the other things you could be doing. And currently I'm happy with that. Back years ago, when I look at some of the things I attempted because I needed to make short-term money, I was not thinking at all in terms of, you know, what are all the things I could be doing and which one should I do? Cause it's going to put me in a good position in three years or five years or 10 years. I thought like, how can I make money right now? And like, I can be empathetic with my former self and realize like I actually needed to make money. So that's why I was uh, impatient. But I think I would go back and tell myself to figure out a way to be patient and try mm-hmm. to make, try to understand that in my career, you know, if, if we're lucky, we might have three or four 10 year windows and, and I now see my career in, in, in terms of decades when, again, in, in my early years, I looked at it in terms of like days and how am I going to pay rent you know, next month? <laughs> right. I can relate to that too, for sure. Okay. So now you, you have some employees that work with you. As a leader, I want to know what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? So many. There's so many. <laughs> you know, I, I think I was, I always aspired to be an entrepreneur, but I, I don't know that I ever aspired to have employees. <laughs> and so I come back to that sometimes. Uh, and I'm a empathetic person and I like to get along with people and I like to be nice to people. And those things definitely have a place in business and have a place in our business. But when it came to hiring, I was inexperienced. And mm-hmm. Brian, my co-founder, having worked at NCSA and mm-hmm. hundreds of salespeople go through there. So he was very experienced. But in the early days when we were hiring our first teammates, I'd say that we had a 50-50 shot of that teammate being a good hire. And I'm not saying that that was the teammate's fault, it was generally our fault, because our process was like many businesses, and, and ultimately the question that we answered at the end of the interview was, do I like this person or not? Mm-hmm. And like, that is not the right question to ask. Yeah. And so it took the it took the extreme pain of, of having some teammates not work out, whether we had to let them go or they quit because it just was not the right fit mm-hmm. to, to, to realize that like how much I hated that experience caused us to get extremely disciplined about how we interview people and how we hire people. Uh, and there's a book called The Who Book that we mm-hmm. use. And there's very specific ways to do this one interview that we do that has not, knock on wood, served us has not led us astray. So rather than like 50% rate that I, I mentioned that I think we mm-hmm. had at the beginning, I'd say we're now closer to 90% and that has made a huge difference yeah. in our business. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. Um, I'd say that I, as an entrepreneur and, and Brian, as an entrepreneur, like wanted to build and want to build the business that we want to work in um, rather than you know, working at a company and complaining or not liking some of the details about it, like I'm inspired to make something that that um, I hope other people want to be a part of because that's the sort of place that I want to work. So, for instance, we had an office for uh, seven or eight years, for seven or eight years of our business, and we said we were very remote friendly and that people kind of come and go when they wanted, but the reality was we still had that office feeling of it's 4 p.m. and I own the business and I'd be like, is it okay if I leave right now? And so it's like, if I'm wondering that, like this, this, what we were saying that like we had a flexible culture didn't feel very true. However, uh, the pandemic happened. My co-founder moved from Chicago to Indianapolis. Our, we gave up our lease and we paid for a few months of empty office. And then we were lucky that our lease was expiring. 
you know, just a few months into 2020. And now we have a distributed team. I live outside of Chicago. Our team lives generally across the United States. We have a teammate who's Brazilian and she's lives in the U S but she's in Brazil a lot. She's in Brazil now. And we have a Filipina teammate. And so, uh, what we do is we get together once a quarter. Mm. Uh, we take the money that we used to spend on our office space, and we we essentially you know divide that by four, and we turn that into quarterly trips. And so I'm going to San Diego next week to see them. Uh, our whole team flies in, and we spend three or four days together, working, hanging out. And it's just like how much how strong our culture is. Mm-hmm. Like we can plan things, we can bring people in to talk about culture, to talk about processes, or whatever it is that we feel like doing. Um, so those are some of the things that have worked out well for us as far as teammates and mm-hmm. managing that part of the business go. Wow, that's incredible. The timing that you you were gifted with really to make that all happen. And and that's a big trend now that people are, you know, are they going to come back to the office? Or are they going to continue working from home? Is it going to be hybrid? Is it going to, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there's challenges that come up because having that collaborative, you know, in-person versus online or on Zoom or, you know, whatever tool you use have, how have you seen, in, what are the kind of the challenges and maybe the, the benefits of having this distributed team? You're right that I think that one of the main challenges is that spontaneous communication. I, I think that when it comes to the spontaneous communication of just, hey, I have an idea and you're sitting right next to me mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna say this thing is, is, can be powerful and then it's different than I have an idea. Is it worth chatting my co-founder or chatting one of my teammates about this? It's like a different, I'd say a different bar. So I'd say there's probably less communication overall, um, which is a downside. On the other hand, like because of how we've handled it and we mm-hmm. have these four times a year where we get together, I feel like we, we, we know each other in a way that like our previous team didn't and we're, mm. um, we're tight in a way that our previous team wasn't because Generally, we're renting an Airbnb and all sleeping under the same roof for yeah. a few nights in a row. And that won't work forever, but it's been sure. working for us for now. And uh, so so every three months, we're like, oh, yeah, we had a great time. And I like you totally get to know each other in a different way. So that's been very helpful. Today, I was reading uh, just the average. I mean, this is so obvious. This is the average commute time that people say it was something like 75 minutes a day or something. Oh, man. And you know, there's a lot of bigger companies and just there, there are different companies for whom, you know, we're a digital agency as are you, we're digitally yeah. native. So it makes tons of sense for us that we can have this agile digital business mm-hmm. sets up well for remote work, whereas lots of kinds of businesses don't set up well for remote work. So, but that 75 minutes a day that people are, are saving a lot of that time is going to work. And in the same study and in the same article, they're saying 50% of those 75 minutes are used on work. So I am mm-hmm. uh, relatively, I'm extremely pro remote work and I, and I know that there's downsides. I've been hearing the bigger companies and, and I've a lot of people who I'm close with that I like a lot who are like, you know, remote work's never gonna work. It's, this is just a, tr- a fad and I'm not into it. I'm like, okay, fair, I, I get that there's downsides. I don't see it changing. I, I think um, the stats are very clear on people not really going back to offices, even with companies trying to force them to. So yeah, there's there's clearly pros and cons, and I don't think we've we've perfected it by any means. But aside from these quarterly get-togethers, um, we are an entrepreneurs organization, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a, a peer support group for entrepreneurs. 
and uh, global. And we're in mm -hmm. Chicago. There's 150 members, and there's, there's chapters in most big cities of the world. And uh, lots of people in EO run a mm -hmm. program called EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System, which comes from a book called Traction. Mm -hmm. You may be familiar with it. You may run it. Lots of agencies Yeah, we're do. going through it right now, actually. We have our oh, uh, implementer, and it's uh, so far so good. It's We're a year into it. And in fact, next week, we have our two-day off-site leadership team meeting. So, yeah. That I could be intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been good, though. Yeah, it is great, and it really helped us. So we run Traction, which, for those who don't know, is basically a series. It's a way to run your business. Mm -hmm. I, I think of it as like a series of meetings that make sure that you have just enough meetings but not too many. Right. So we have like a – it's literally a four-minute meeting every morning. That's a huddle. It's at the same time every day, and it's a super fast. We have a question each day. Um, our core values are like – are deeply integrated throughout our business. And that is definitely because of EOS and, and being an EO and learning from people. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, quarterly rocks, annual meetings, like all of these things to allow us to stay in touch uh, exactly how much we need to has been really, really helpful. It's been, it's helped our, my co-founder and I's communication. It's, it's helped our alignment across the business. So if those things are in place, a company can, yeah. I think it do well in a, in a remote fashion. If you have a company where people are not aligned and people not know what to do, the communication's choppy or inconsistent, you have too many meetings, you have too few meetings, like that can get, that can become a mess. And I do think that that mm -hmm. sort of disconnect can be super stressful. And yeah, I think if you want to run a remote business, then you, you really have to have some of these other things in place to keep mm -hmm. people together. That's great advice. And I, yeah, I believe that with, well, and we have entrepreneurs organization here in, in Idaho as well. In fact, I even got to do a EO Talks. I did a 15, kind of like TED Talks. I don't know if you have it in your area, but it's been so helpful and valuable to learn from other agency owners across the country and be able to get ideas from other agency owners. And it's amazing. Yeah, we were in EOA as well, which for mm -hmm. listeners who don't know, EOA is EO Accelerator. Mm -hmm. It's for companies that have between 250000 to a million dollars in revenue. Mm -hmm. EOA is for companies with a million dollars plus. So mm -hmm. we did EOA two years in a row before we got into EO. Mm -hmm. And it was just, uh, I have nothing but such good things to say about it, whether it's the friends you make or the uh, business improvement that we've talked about. It's, it's really been a... Uh, a game changer for us. Yeah, I think I truly attribute what got us through the pandemic is having participated in that program, yeah. you know, because pandemic happened and, you know, half our business, over half of our business, you know, either they went out of business or they left or they got acquired or they, you know, cut yeah. their marketing budgets, which they should never do. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it was same, good. Same here. Mm -hmm. we, we had very serious discussions with every single client we had. And like mm -hmm. you said, we lost about half of our business mm -hmm. in the first half of 2020 with those first shutdowns. And thankfully yep. it came back. Mm -hmm. But um, similarly, EO, so I was in an EO forum where we would meet once a month, the same six or eight people and mm -hmm. you get this very tight confidential group. And of course, when the pandemic happened, we stopped being able to meet in person. So some of these monthly meetings, we we're having weekly 90 minute sessions with, with these people were just like friends. And I remember mm -hmm. feeling so bad when the calls would start of, for all the reasons of losing a client or just the yeah. sadness of the pandemic and everything yeah. that was going on. And then when those calls would end, it's not like there's any 
it wasn't like there'd ever be a breakthrough like oh i just figured out all my problems but there's a real sense of like we're all in this together and, and these yeah. people that i know well are going through similar things and mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest i mean it's it's peer support so that's one of the biggest totally. things i i got out of it during that period for sure it was just the feeling of i'm not alone in this yeah well this has been a very good conversation chris um i appreciate you sharing all of the nuggets and wisdom and knowledge that you dropped here just maybe a couple more questions. One, um, I do have my students listening. And so I always love to ask about, you know, what advice would you give to these, you know, our future generation that's about to hit the workforce? Uh, a lot of my students are, are graduating this semester. What would you tell them if they're interested in doing what you do? What would you say to them? Well, I would give different advice depending on if you are wanting to be an entrepreneur, which is what I do. Uh, and, and start an agency, which is what I do, versus if you wanted to work at an agency or get a job. In any case, for me, I would say, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say do what you love. I think that's a little bit simplistic and can even be dangerous, but I would say follow your curiosity. And where you see your curiosity meeting something that you can contribute, you, you've arrived in a place where you should pay some attention. So it could mean that you're curious about my agency or pepper shock or, or, or business that you want to work for. Like don't stop at, you know, reading one blog post, looking at my LinkedIn and then applying for a job, like really dig deeply down where you can add value. And, and it can mean so many things. You can go to our website and find something that's broken or a misspelled word, or it's just like, give me a reason to notice. And that's, that's not just like, Hey, I want a job. Hey, that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> Hopefully, don't we don't have any misspelled words? I actually I give them extra credit when they find my typos and they have to you know <laughs> screenshot it and whoever the first is to screenshot it and send it to me and tell me what it is then they get extra credit. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, kind of going back to some of the advice I would give myself, it's like rather than, and and I definitely would do this. There were times I've, I've had almost no jobs where anyone else hired me. I'm the unemployable entrepreneur at this point in my career, but <laughs> yeah. they're. Uh, you know, I did go through a process where I, I wanted a job and, and tried to get a job and I would do the like spray and pray, mm-hmm. you know, I would find you know, 25 or 40 jobs in a sitting and just like fire out resumes. And, and I think if you spend that time, if I spent that time really selecting the three to five places or the three to five people that I really want to connect to, and then spending a lot of time figuring out uh, how I can add value like do something that adds value to their life before you reach out to them. Like the typo one is a pretty uh, basic example, but there's other things that you could find that give you a point of view that make you stand out. So uh, I would, and, and I guess to summarize that, I'd say go for quality over quantity. And I think that can pay off. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, no spraying and praying. We We just had a conversation about things to include on your resume and you know if you do a cover letter you should do a cover letter and make sure that you research the company that you're applying for not just yeah spray and pray it's not good not good okay so one last question for you chris um how can people get in touch with you or reach out to you or if they're interested in learning more from you yeah the website is the centerpiece for everything so so please head there and from there you'll be able to reach me on linkedin or you can look for me on twitter as well I love it. Any final thoughts before we part today? Oh, no, just that this has really been fun and I really appreciate you having me. 
Yeah, this is great. Awesome. All right. For those of you listening, the best thing that you can do for Chris and I is go share this podcast with those you know who need to listen to this. I think there's a lot of great nuggets in here. Thank you so much for sharing, Chris. I I really, truly appreciate getting to talk to other agency owners. And this has been great. And until next time, everybody, enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.